Welcome to Thrivecast, a community podcast series where we're meeting with our growth and engineering leaders. Our today's topic is product messaging and positioning. And to discuss the the whys and the whats and the whos and the whens, we have our famed LinkedIn sensation, Robert Kaminsky with us. Uh, Robert, uh, you have been a sensation on social channels. In the last maybe about a year or so, your posts have been uh, receiving almost about thousands of requests or thousands of views every single time you post within a span of a couple of hours. Every post is very engaging. You're attracting dialogues. Uh, you're also attracting diametrically opposing viewpoints. You know, both have very strong, you know, uh, sense of being there. And so to the fools who don't do, know you yet, could you briefly introduce yourself? Who is Robert and what is Fletch? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, first off, thanks for having me. <laughs> Excited to chat through some of this stuff with you today. Um, yeah, so I'm a partner and founder at Fletch. Uh, I run it with Anthony Pieri, and we we call ourselves a positioning and messaging consultancy specifically for B2B startups. And what we've essentially created is a productized service to help you unpack what we call your minimum viable positioning and then structure out your core messaging, which is usually made up of your three main arguments or value props. And then we help these founders translate those into their homepage messaging, uh, which can be translated into other assets as well, but that's generally where they run into the first challenge is what the heck do I put on my site? How do I explain myself? Uh, which is really, really difficult when you're an early stage company that's trying to find fit. And uh, that's that's pretty much all we do. We are dead set on being the what we call the best product marketers for early stage companies that are trying to figure figure out their positioning and messaging. And uh, that focus, kind of going back to LinkedIn and having all those engagements and conversations, is really what prompts all of that. Is when you go really specific on a topic, and uh, you kind of create some unique insights for people to to rally around and rally against, and it creates a, just an immense level of learning both for us and for our audience. That's super. So, uh, and I think to the viewers, uh, Robert and I, we've chatted a couple of times and every single time we've had sparks, sparks of ideas. And we thought we should record some of them and share it, with pub share it publicly. And here we are recording our first podcast. Uh, Robert, I, know, I think the last time, maybe a couple of, maybe the first time when we met, uh, you know, you gave an interesting story about how you got started. You know, how did you and Anthony come together and start building Fletch? Maybe could you talk a little uh, and then share some of your experiences on uh, where you were before Fledge, why did you start Fledge? And since then, why did you use LinkedIn as a source for, you know, sharing your insights and driving engagement? Yeah, uh, happy to, to share that. So I, I've been around technology commercialization for 15 years and uh, spent times in different startups, uh, large technology companies, really getting kind of the, learning the ropes, if you will, spent time in sales, spent time in products, spent time in customer success. Uh, and when Anthony and I connected, we were both working for an agency that focused specifically in working with startups, new product uh, development, go to market planning. And Anthony actually was the first one to post something on LinkedIn, more out of curiosity. And this never happens, but one of his first posts, I think it was first or second post went mini viral. And it was like this post on note taking. And so I'm like, well, I, I, man, I, we should try this. Let's just see what happens. And so almost a year to date, we both started just sharing ideas on LinkedIn and I've wanted to do this for a long time, but never actually shared what 
the stuff I was creating or working on. Uh, but because we had all this exposure to startups, we're like, let's just start sharing all the things we know and see what happens. And I like to equate it as uh, planting our face right in the market that is early stage startups and founders and then listening for signal. And I say that mm -hmm. because the first six months, I mean, we would post about not just product marketing, but product management and strategy and, you know, Anthony's post, how you take notes and all these different frameworks we were coming across, kind of sharing our learning story. And if I'm being honest, a lot of that content was probably terrible. We had no idea what we we're doing. There was no audience at the time. But as you post regularly, we were literally posting every day uh, and listening for signal. Who cares about what? Who's struggling with what? And we very quickly, you know, quickly, three to six months in, started to realize that product marketers uh, were really interested in some of the stuff we talked about. And also founders were, that are in early stage, but we're essentially doing product marketing work. And we just super deep dived into how we do that. And I think the big unlock for us was number one, figuring out what our niche was going to be for how we share what we do. And then this is stuff we've been doing for a long time just uh, never sharing it in public. So that was number one. The second thing is we started to visualize our concepts. And the premise for Fletch is we realized that in product marketing, even really seasoned product marketers didn't have a definition for things. It was all very fuzzy. Even people that I respect to this day would get into debates over, is that a feature or is that a capability? What's a benefit? And we're going, this is madness. Everyone's making it up as they, as they go. And so we spent a lot of time as we started posting, essentially testing definitions. So basically, can we take product marketing and turn it from this art where everyone can make up whatever they want into a science where you can irrefutably say that's a capability, that's a benefit. And when you work from that foundation, then you can break things down and build things up in a way that actually matters. And so that's that's kind of how we started Fletch from that core framework of what is a value proposition? How do you break down language and what does it mean? And what it's evolved to is connecting that back up to positioning. And that's simply because your messaging is this expression of your positioning. And once we had that, we, we like to call it x-ray vision. We now have a way to look at how you talk about yourself, how you're positioning yourself in the market see where all the gaps are, where all the bodies are buried, what's not working. And it's almost this evaluation on product market fit. And then once we know where everything's broken, we can begin to start to fix it with that very same model. Oh, it's amazing how you evolved, you know, from one single post from Anthony and you built a company around it. Looks like LinkedIn became your product market fit. You know, <laughs> so in a way, of, yeah, like yeah, it's where, yeah. you know, it's where our audience hangs out. That's where our market is. Yeah. And, uh, and then it's, it really goes back to repetition, like post every day, you're going to have a dozen conversations in the comments, probably another dozen or so per day in DMS founders, literally hitting us up and saying, Hey, I think you can help me. And we're like, I, I can't, I? Yeah. like, let's talk. And then getting in a room with them. So we spent in the first year, I mean, we were spending each of us taking 20, 30 meetings a week with founders, just hearing about what they're struggling with. And then at the time, pitching them a version of our service that we didn't quite know what it was yet uh, until we, you know, you iterate your way to actually finding out what your product or what your service is. And now we're, I wouldn't call us a finely tuned machine, but getting pretty close to it where we know exactly who we can help and who we can help and how we help them, which is a, a powerful thing from a business standpoint. It's it's very interesting, and um, maybe maybe could you could you educate uh, the audience on 
why product messaging is becoming so important, so crucial for startups, for even large companies to sort of say, but I think, you know, I think you had, uh, you had an insight sometime that product messaging and positioning is now all the more important for early stage PLG startups as well. So could you help us understand what is product messaging and why it's important for especially the PLG companies who are trying to, you know, innovate, trying to disrupt this market, you know, with a PLG first kind of a GTM approach. Yeah. The, I, there's really two things here. One is more at a meta level, regardless whether you're PLG or not, is messaging. The channels are crowded, like more crowded than they ever have been. And so there's a ton of noise. And what this does is it puts this premium on those who are able to cut through the noise with clarity in, in, in talking about their product and how they deliver value and the problems they solve have an extreme advantage over other products. It's no longer good enough to have a killer product. You have to have a great way to get that message in the hands of prospects. And so that's number one, is just this overwhelm of, of crowdedness um, where before just, yeah, throw a bunch of money, get your messages out there and you're gonna win. Now it's, no, it's no longer get them out there. It's like, get them out there and make them stand out. Now with PLG, where this becomes in particular, very important is the fact that you don't have a translator of the message. So when you think about, if you're not PLG, you've got salespeople. And salespeople are pretty amazing at being dynamic in how they message and position. They can go into one room, navigate the conversation, introduce the product in a way that meets the target where they're at. With PLG, you don't have that at all. You essentially have this like boilerplate set of people are gonna come through this door and they all might want something different. How do I funnel them into the value and the ahas of my product? so that they eventually become a paying customer. And so that translation, well, you don't have that with PLG at all. And it creates this huge challenge, especially a lot of PLG products have a lot of different use cases, have a lot of different customer segments. And so that's like fundamental messaging when you talk about it, it's like, who's this message for? And if it's for a lot of people, and then like also you're trying to say a lot of different things, man, you're gonna have a real challenge with clarity. <laughs> And so again, it puts this premium for PLG companies to really figure this out, sort out their messaging and make sure that they're, they're actually communicating what they do in the right moment to the right people. No easy task. That's for sure. So it looks like, um, you know, especially for PLG, what you're saying is, it's all the more important that whatever the sales team used to do in closed doors, you know, specific value proposition for specific personas. Now PLG companies have to automate that how to bring it out in the public and provide that kind of a messaging directly, you know, openly rather than through a particular salesperson or a marketing persona. So if, if that's the case, how does one go about doing it? Um, what are the frameworks? What are the tools? And, you know, I think before we get into the, the kicks of it, uh, there was a post that you had some time back, you know, on benefits versus capabilities. And I, I started looking at, uh, I opened up salesforce.com, looked at Microsoft Azure, looked at AWS, looked at you know HubSpot, looked at Loom, Calendly, almost about 15, 20 odd websites, side by side, stacked them and started like, is Robert really talking the truth? Why is everyone talking about benefits? And I started scratching my head more and more. So, so educate us on how should one go about messaging their product where should they start yeah. what's the what are the available frameworks 
So I love the exercise you did. And even just hearing your story is uh, exciting to me because that's what Anthony and I did. We looked at all these sites and we're going, what the hell are they doing? Like everyone is saying the same thing. We'll increase your revenue. We'll reduce your churn. And we're like, this tells me nothing about what this product does. And, and therein lies how we approach things. Uh, so rather than benefits, we put a huge premium, especially for these PLG companies on what we call and define capabilities and capabilities are the things that you can actually do with the product, right? And they get conflated with these outcomes, these benefits downstream that if I actually use the product, I can get all these great results. And so I can actually, uh, I can share here. We can walk through a couple examples to really make this crystal clear. And another way to think about it is like these capabilities are the bridge to those big benefits, right? So if you go out to these sites and and a lot of them have, I'll say, cleaned up their act. Uh, I don't know if we've had an influence on that or not, but uh, what you'll usually see, as you talked about, is all this messaging in the blue over here. We'll break down silos. We'll cut meetings down, all that stuff. And it is good stuff. And we're not saying ditch that message. This just becomes a sequencing challenge. I have to know what I'm doing, this capability first, so that I can even picture myself in a situation where I can have that benefit. And people miss the boat on this, right? There's this, uh, I don't, it's like a human thing where we wanna be bigger than we are, right? And so whenever we work with a startup or founder, we are, we're effectively trying to break down their positioning and messaging into the most boring fundamental pieces possible. Because as humans, we have this natural tendency just to turn on the sales hat, like make it sound good. And you'll look at these capabilities here, right? Like Calendly, let others book time on your calendar. Like there's nothing overly sexy about that, right? Um, get a written record of all your calls great right but like when you go to these sites and then they try and like make everything sound amazing and so to to make this full circle capabilities are the bridge between the the actual feature and we define feature as the thing that powers the capability and a lot of technical founders get stuck here because they fall in love with their features they and and in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. it's just a matter of how much time they're putting into it like they spend all day every day for years building these features it's pretty natural to want to talk about it but your customers don't give a rip about your features. They get, what they care about is what can I do with it, these capabilities. And then once I can do that with it, what's going to happen downstream if I use this enough? Like, how's it going to impact my business, my time, my life in some way, shape or form? And so this formula to us of features to capabilities to benefits, one of the biggest unlocks that we came across um, just working this model with, with over 60 startups is that they, a lot of them are just completely missing capabilities because they were trying to deliver this huge high level benefit statement. Yeah, this is, this is very interesting. So, um, I was just laughing when you said, uh, some of them have gotten the racks together, you know, warning to anyone and everyone who does not have a capability on their website. If you don't have it, Mr. Kaminsky is coming to get you. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was having a, uh, a LinkedIn chat with the, the head of product marketing over at Calendly the other day because I did a kind of a public breakdown of one of their landing pages for marketing teams. And yeah, how did uh, I, I was go? comparing them to Asana. And he, he had the funniest comment of, oh, like, oh, good, we passed your test. 
and I, I joked with him. I'm like, hey, it, it's just one page. Uh, I'm, I'm on the lookout for all the bad ones. But uh, but no, we're just kidding. And, and uh, to be to be frank, too, when we do these audit, uh, audits in public, we do them with these very successful companies. Right. Uh, and that's that's also for there's two reasons to that. They're easy to relate to because we know what the products um, yeah. do. So there's a lot of learning there for these founders and product marketers. Uh, and also just success. Calendly's billion dollar plus company and uh we used to do some audits for early stage startups but we found that that can be a little daunting for companies that are just trying to get their footing and so as much as we knock um we're really talking about optimization of messages for a lot of these uh these big startups that everyone knows and loves yeah so to to break down what you're saying uh, rob is this right to try to assume that sure enough you should have benefits in your mind especially for the founders they need to understand What's the ultimate benefit that they are trying to sell to? But maybe start off with explaining things based on what your product does through a mechanism or through a framework of capabilities, like record quick demonstration videos. I mean, this is what you can do now uh, to get to the benefit of cutting me- cutting down meetings. So how does one yes. go about go about that particular thought process? So yeah, and that's the perfect question. And I'm, I'm sharing a new visual here for Asana. The connecting point, and this is where a lot of mistakes get made, is some folks will do a decent job of getting to their capability, but they want to skip to the end. And so I have this Asana example where we talk about the order of benefits. And what we believe, especially for PLG companies, is you want your benefit to be as believable as possible. Because remember, you're a startup, you're PLG, not many people know about you if you're not one of these unicorns already. So you have to be very clear about what the product does, capability, and then what we would say the first order benefit. And so with Asana, it's tempting for them, and they, you know, they do this quite a bit, to jump to this fourth order increased revenue. But it's this logical rollout of, okay, Asana lets me manage uh, all my tasks all in one place. Like That's essentially the capability of the product. The first order benefit of that as well the, the team stays more organized. Like that's very, those are connected. That's great. They make a lot of sense logically. And so we can start to again, picture ourselves in the product. If I keep my team more organized, well then maybe they'll ship more features. That's benefit second order. And if they ship more features, maybe that'll increase the retention or word of mouth on my product, third order benefit. And if I get more word of mouth on my product, I'm going to get more customers and increase revenue, right? And so it's not that they're wrong. They're just creating what we would call this like believability gap where it's like, no. And, you know, when you get, here's the thing, when you're in a mature category and you do get name brand recognition, Asana can probably get away with this. When you're mm-hmm. a startup, your biggest burden is, I don't know who you are. I don't believe you. And, it's, and when you start saying that you're going to increase my revenue, you've already turned turned off my mind. It's like, uh, you're no, you're not you're not actually hitting on what I'm trying to do today, uh, and so it's exactly that is just keeping keeping the benefit as close to the what the product actually does, and then again, you don't lose these other messages of second and third order benefits. These are the ones that are more geared towards those those sales conversations, those demos, or I'm in the product and I'm further along, I'm already using things. Now you can hit me with a second message where I try and get to this next level aha and this next level benefit. So sequencing is really what it's all about. Yeah, so if you if you do something like this, maybe, maybe probably this is where uh, yours and Anthony's you know skills come into play. Uh, but how does a startup go about, let's say they, they went ahead and written down their features. They have written down their 
potential capabilities. Uh, they have this theoretical idea about, hey, this is my ultimate benefit, and they go through this, the first order benefit, the second order benefit, and so on and so forth. How do they take this information and message it out to, you know, to their audience? Uh, are there any, any, any simple ways? Because this is, this looks like more of theoretical exercise on a whiteboard. Now translating that to a product messaging and positioning, that seems to be a little ardent affair. And so I'm, uh, I'm going to take you kind of through, well, this is almost the exact model we use with founders who are trying to do exactly what you described. How do I put together messages? What we find is that most, and again, we talk a lot about website copy. Most website copy problems are actually messaging problems and most messaging problems are actually positioning problems. And so what we do at the very beginning is we actually work back to a positioning exercise because you can't craft a message if you don't know who your audience is and you don't know the main thing you're trying to highlight. And this main thing when it comes to startups is something that April Dunford calls differentiated value. And it's this combination of who are you competing with and what's the thing that your product does that they don't let me do. And that last one there, that's like where our capability piece comes into play. And so what I'm sharing here, we call this our eight box exercise, but it's essentially a high level snapshot of your positioning. And so we've got four market elements on the top, four, four product elements on the bottom. And what you need is at least one element, we call it a positioning anchor from each side, the market or product side, literally connecting product and market. And we're product marketers after all. And so like the solution is in the name, you need a piece from each. And if you're, if you have all eight elements, it tells me you probably have fit, you're hyper-targeted. And so for what we do at Fletch, we're pretty hyper-targeted. We know who we're helping. We're helping founders at early stage startups. They don't have a clear way to explain their product on their homepage. And they've really challenged when they do these um, website revamps. They're trying to write copy. And so what do we do? We're a consultancy that actually does the work. And we, un we basically clarify their positioning, craft their messaging, and translate it to website copy with our three-step process so that they now have this clear way to explain what they do. And so we have all these eight boxes. And so if I back up, the first exercise is to essentially, you said you collected all these features capabilities, you throw them on a wall in this model and you ask yourself, are any of these the core or the main piece of these? If they're not, it tells you that it's fuzzy and you'll notice some of these are grayed out. And what you're looking for are those unifying elements that tell you who the message is for and how you're going to introduce your product. And again, more of a conceptual exercise. But once you have this in mind, what we do is then move from that, what we call minimum viable positioning, the way that you can explain mm -hmm. yourself in a, in a lightweight way. Because again, if you're a startup, you're not going to have all eight boxes filled up. It's going to feel a little squishy, but it has to be clear enough for them to know who you're for and what you do. And so once you have that, then you have to craft these messages. And so what I'm sharing here, this is our, we used to call it our product marketing canvas. It's now more our product messaging canvas. And these are all the elements in here that you need to craft a compelling value proposition. And this thing, and I know it, it kind of feels out like a Sudoku when we're doing the exercise. Uh, and the most important things to call out are these linkages. So Rob, I think maybe the screen sharing is off. Oh no. Uh, if you're pointing at something. Yeah, absolutely. Did we get the previous model in play as well? Maybe we did not. We didn't get this model, did we? No.
Got it. Beautiful. Okay. So what I'm sharing here is our product messaging canvas. And the important pieces here are all the linkages between these elements. And when you're filling this out, this ends up being a little bit like a verbal Sudoku exercise. Mm -hmm. You're trying to get alignment and each row represents a value prop here. And so the example shown here is for Figma. And what this starts to really pressure test for a lot of founders and product marketers is they have a tendency to over message. And so they, there's two things that happen here, alignment and prioritization, because there's only three. And we recommend that there's only three when we think about homepage messaging. Um, you can run this mm -hmm. exercise for different parts of the journey, as I'm sure we'll speak to here in a few minutes. Uh, but you have to pick the most, and there's two, two approaches to this, the most compelling, usually we're starting with most compelling capabilities or the most compelling problems that you solve, right? Because this whole exercise, if I were to like highlight one thing here, that's the most important is this contrast of the current way and the problems and, and limitations of the current way to what your product does. This goes back to April Dunford's differentiated value in our model, uh, because we're trying to like make that, that contrast so extreme that it's like, oh my goodness, this is fundamentally better than what I'm doing today. And I see exactly how they do it. And so if we roll through an example here for Slack, uh, tying this to the use case, these design teams, this design lead is trying to design a web app interface with their team. And how are they doing this today? And so this is what we'd call a competitive differentiation set of the current way. You'll notice we have some others here that are contextual, mm -hmm. of like activities are doing. But if we roll out the sketch one, well, what's the what's the problem of this, of using sketch? It's like, well, it's really slow and inefficient. It's like, well, why is it slow and inefficient? And this is where we get to that limitation because sketch doesn't allow multiple people to work on the same file at the same time. And this is the moment where you want to introduce your product capability. Now you can work with teammates in the same file at the same time. This is that big unlock that Figma had in the early days. What powers this? Their real-time collaboration, their multiplayer feature. Uh, and then this benefit, which is the opposite of the problem where this is slow and inefficient to do this. Um, now your team can immediately build off each other's ideas. So it's no longer slow, it's now fast. And so end to end, what we have here is complete alignment all the way back to the team and the use case, highlighting that big contrast and introducing the capability of the product and what supports it. And so this is the exercise. I'll pause here. I don't know if that triggered questions and thoughts, but this is how we think about crafting value props in a really structured way. Yeah, I think this is a beautiful framework. Uh, maybe you can have some of this in the show notes as well. Uh, you know, uh, but I think you have hit a few bullet points. Maybe I'll, I'll try to summarize it in my trivial head. Uh, product messaging is not the same as positioning or start with positioning. Right. And uh, the storytelling exercise that you, you know you're picturing it here is, you know, hey, understand your ICP, understand what the problems that they have, what's the current limitation in the way they're working today, uh, introduce your product capability at that time, list down what feature is helping what capability around it, and only then arrive at the potential benefit. You know, it looks like that's the framework uh, and and what you're, you're telling is that do this in such a way that there's only three of them or three or four of them as, as minimal as possible. Uh, if there are too many benefits, too many capabilities, people tend to you know, uh, ignore the entire messaging. It's not, it doesn't register in your head. Is that a good summary in general? 
Absolutely. The only piece that I would add just to confirm is this is core messaging. So we think about these as leading messages, hence the prioritization to just three. Mm -hmm. You can use this exact same framework to craft additional messages for different parts of the journey. We're making the assumption here that this message is mostly for the combination of awareness and acquisition. You're going to need a whole bunch of other messages for activation and upsell and all the other stuff that you have, as, especially in PLG. Um, but yeah, you nailed it in terms of how we think about getting to core messaging that supports the, the position you're going after. Okay, beautiful. Uh, unfortunately, I'm looking at the time and then we are almost at uh, 28, 29 minutes or so. Uh, we'll take a quick pause on this. Very likely we might have uh, had to bring you in, Rob, uh, Rob on the you know, subsequent journey of taking this further uh, and we'll test it out out there. Uh, but a last question to you, how does one reach out to you and Anthony? Uh, should they just, you know, if anyone is a, is a listener trying to seek your attention, is LinkedIn the best way uh, for them to reach out to you? What's, what's your preference? is the best way. As of right now, we have not and refuse to um, fall into the automated LinkedIn follow-up. And so if you reach out to us <laughs> on LinkedIn, though it might be a little delayed, we respond to everyone individually and try and answer questions as best we can. And so if you have uh, questions or thoughts or comments uh, that you want to discuss, like we're, we're very open on LinkedIn, uh, both in our direct messages and or just directly on posts. We're pretty active uh, when we post to get into those conversations as well. Thank you, Rob. Thank you so much for your valuable time and valuable insights. Uh, to all our listeners, if you've enjoyed today's discussion, please consider leaving a review uh, on your favorite platform of choice. Uh, this will air on Spotify, YouTube, and various other aggregators out there. Your feedback makes a big difference. And this is a great learning mechanism for growth and engineering leaders across the board. You know, typically we are finding growth and monetization leaders coming here. So stay tuned for more insights, more guests, and very soon we'll have more demos. Until, until that time, keep thriving.